Good evening. Good to see everybody that's here tonight. Uh, glad to have you with us there online, whether you're on Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, uh, any of those platforms, be sure to heart to like, to share. Uh, and then also, if you're on our phone live streaming, want to say welcome to you. If you need that number, uh, please uh, let me know after church or call the church office. We'll be glad to give that to you. Uh, just to see if you're listening at home, put your warm coat on like you're going outside in the snow and get you a hat and put it on and then you go like this and dance around and dance for some snow. That's for Kay Williams. So, <laughs> so hopefully you saw that. <laughs> if you didn't, you missed it. <laughs> also want to encourage you to go to our website, highlandbaptistchurch.com. It's under the info tab. You can download the worship bulletin for today, the children's worship bulletins, ages 7 and up, ages 3 and up. And then also under the info tab is our prayer list. Be sure to download that and be praying uh, through that list. And then while you're there on the church website, go to the far right-hand side. Click the Give Online tab. You can do your regular online giving. You can do your giving for the, for the Lottie Moon Christmas offering. Uh, the offering plates are down here in the front. Uh, and you've got your envelopes in the pews as well as uh, the Lottie Moon Christmas offering ones in the windowsills. And don't forget to be praying uh, for that also. So as we begin tonight, let me just open us with a word of prayer, and then I'll turn it over to Brother Mike. Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. Thank you, Lord, for the blessings that you've given to us. And Lord, we pray for those who uh, have lost loved ones in these last days. Lord, we pray that you'll bring comfort and encouragement to their hearts. Uh, Lord, 
For those who have struggled through the holidays, we pray for you to embrace them in your love and your grace and your mercy. And Father, we pray tonight as we come uh, to worship you, may we open our hearts before you as we sing. Uh, may we listen with our ears to hear your, uh, and with our hearts to hear your voice speaking to us uh, through your word. And Father, I pray that we will see uh, the life of faith that we need to live in through your word tonight. And we ask your blessings upon this service. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Brother Mike. number 64 and it's a promise that God makes he's going to take care of you you give him your heart and follow him and he's going to watch over you and take care of you 64 God will take care of you all three <laughs> be not dismayed mentioned this earlier. Uh, I didn't have one of these with me up here, but just want to encourage you uh, to be sure to get one of the Hoosier One uh, bookmarks. Uh, it has a place on it here for you to fold and tear off to write a name of an individual that you know that may be lost, uh, that you want to be lifting up in prayer over these next 30 days. And then uh, on the bookmark itself, you can write that person's name, and it's got 30 days there of scripture uh, that you can read through and use as a prayer guide for praying uh, the scriptures for uh, those individuals. So I encourage you to do that. Uh, once you pull that off and take that off, you can place it in an offering plate and we'll get those hole punched and start putting those on the cross over here to my right. Uh, so if you would take your Bibles tonight and turn to the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter 14. You know, as we get ready to look at this ver these verses tonight, uh, 
there is a war that is going on. Uh, we're not talking about a physical war. We know there's wars that are going on around us around the world. Uh, but there is a spiritual war that is going on all around us and sometimes even within us. Uh, Donald Gray Barnhouse called it the invisible war. It's an unseen battle that's very real. Uh, we're not fighting flesh and blood, but we're fighting principalities and powers. In fact, Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 12 says this, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. So understand that this war that we are fighting is against you, it's against your family, it's against your loved ones, uh, it's against your future, it's against your very life, your truth, your beauty, your holiness, and everything that you hold dear or should uh, hold dear. So understand that, that we cannot afford to be neutral when it comes to this battle, uh, and we dare not be unaware. Uh, what we're studying about in this chapter, uh, in chapter 14, as I've entitled this message tonight, is the life of faith. And so in this battle, uh, we're, we're up against, as we said, the world, we're against the flesh, and against the devil. Now, the world's the external enemy, the flesh is the internal enemy, and the devil is the infernal uh, enemy. And all of these are fighting against you as a child of God. And so in this passage, I, I want to show you Abram here as we pick up with his life, uh, how he goes against those same three enemies and how he gains the victory over the world, over the flesh, and over the devil. Uh, and so we're going to notice here the life of faith and how faith uh, was his victory and how faith can be our victory also. So if you would, let's stand as we read God's Word in honor of his word, Genesis chapter 14. We're going to skip on down, uh, if you will, to uh, verse 10 through verse 12, and we'll come back to the other verses here in just a moment. So verse 10 says, Now the valley of Sidon was full of bitumen pits, and as the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah fled, some fell into them, and the rest fled to the hill country. So the enemy took all the possessions of Sodom and Gomorrah and all their provisions and went their way. They also took Lot, the son of Abram's brother, who was dwelling in Sodom and his possessions and went their way. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we come to you in prayer tonight, we just want to ask, Lord, that you will speak your truth into our hearts tonight. We pray that this message will be powerful for us to understand that we are to be living a life of faith because it is faith that is the victory uh, for us as we trust in you. And so, Lord, I pray that you will bless your word. Lord, may it be powerful. May it be alive. Uh, may it be relevant to our personal lives and where we are each individually uh, on that journey of faith with you. And, Father, I just pray that you would use it to embolden us, to help us to grow deeper and stronger, and for those who've never trusted by faith in Jesus, may this also be a message that will speak to their hearts uh, to bring them to faith in Jesus Christ. And so, Father, bless your word and bless this message. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can be seated. 
So notice here the first thing that we want to see in this chapter. Uh, we want to go back to these first few verses to find out how did we get to this place where they take Lot, uh, the son of Abram's brother who was dwelling in Sodom and his possessions, and go their way and went their way. Uh, well, the story of that is told to us in verses 1 down through verse 12. And we see Abram's dilemma here. In fact, we see the first war in all of the scriptures. Uh, and so let's just go ahead and go back to verse 1 uh, and wind our way back down to verse 12 to read this section about war here. It says, In the days of Amraphel, king of Shinar, Ariok, king of Elisar, uh, Cherdlomer, king of Elam, and Tidal, king of Goem, these kings made war with Bera, king of Sodom. So remember his name. We're going to come back to him as we continue to go through. So he made war with Bera, king of Sodom, Bersha, king of Gomorrah, Shinab, king of Adma, and Shemaber, king of Zeboim, and the king of Bela, that is Zoar. And all these joined forces in the valley of Sidon, that is the Salt Sea. That's the Dead Sea, what we know today. Twelve years they had served Chedlomar. In the thirteenth year, but in the thirteenth year, they rebelled. In the fourteenth year, Chedorlamar uh, and the kings who were with him came and defeated the Rephaim, the Ashtaroth, uh, Karanim, and the Zuzim in Ham, and the Imim in Shaveth Kirithim, and the, Hor the Horites in their hill country of Seir, as far as El Paran on the border of the wilderness. And they turned back and came to En Mishpat, uh, that is Kadesh, and defeated all the country of the Malachites and also the Amorites who were dwelling in Hazan Tamar. Then the king of Sodom, the king of Gomorrah, the king of Adma, the king of Zeboam, and the king of Bela, that is Zoar, went out, and they joined battle in the valley of Sidon. With Chedlomer, king of Elam, uh, Tidal, king of Goem, Amraphel, king of Shinar, and Ariok, king of Elsar, four kings against five. Now the valley of Sidon was full of bit bitumen pits, and the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah fled. Some fell into them, and the rest fled to the hill country. So the enemy took all the possessions of Sodom and Gomorrah and all their provisions and went their way. They also took Lot, the son of Abram's brother, who was dwelling in Sodom, and his possessions, and went their way. And so understand this section here records for us the first war that's ever mentioned in the Bible. Now understand it wouldn't be included here had it not involved Abraham. And so the Bible records a great deal of history. Uh, Dr. A.T. Pearson said this, he said, history is his story. And that's so true because what is written in the Bible helps us to understand how God worked out his great plan of salvation in the world all throughout history. So in the Bible, historical facts are often, often windows, if you will, uh, for spiritual truth. So notice here, there's a five city-states uh, that are in the plain of Jordan. You read about those five uh, in verse 2 that have been under the control of the kings of the four eastern city-states for 12 years. That's what verse 1 uh, is mentioning, those four. So the five were under the control of the four, and they finally revolted against them. 
Now, when they do this, that's of course a declaration of war. Uh, and so the four kings invaded the plain of Jordan to bring the five kings into subjection. Now, if we were to look at it from our modern point of view and to see what was going on here, uh, this invasion uh, would be seem to us just like a minor skirmish. But in that day, it was considered a major international confrontation. It's the first time uh, states, uh, groups of people have, have gone to battle uh, against one another. And certainly, as you would think about it, five kings and their, tri their, their troops ought to be able to defeat four kings, especially when they're fighting on their own turf. But the army of the cities of the plains, they are soundly defeated by the invading kings. Apparently, the five kings didn't even know their own land because they were trapped, as the Bible tells us in verse 10, in the slime pits. All their army could do was flee for the hills. When you read Ezekiel chapter 16 and verse 49 and 50, it suggests that the lifestyle of the people of Sodom and Gomorrah had not prepared them for conflict that they were going to go forth into. And so we'll read more about Sodom and Gomorrah later and what their lifestyle was all about. But whatever purposes the kings may have had in this war, God had something special in mind for Lot through this battle, through this war that was going on, and he becomes a prisoner of war, if you will. Now, when you look at Lot's life, just remind, be reminded about Lot, that Lot had looked at Sodom, Lot had moved towards Sodom back in chapter 13 and verse 10 through verse 13, and now he's living in Sodom, as verse 12 tells us, he was dwelling in Sodom. So he looked towards Sodom, he went towards Sodom, and finally he's living in Sodom. Did you know that's the same thing that happens to us in, in sin? We start looking towards sin, and before long we're starting to go towards it, and as we go toward it, before you know it, we're stuck in the middle of it. And that's what we find here for Lot. He's stuck in the middle of it. Uh, in, in fact, uh, you might not guess it, though, from the conduct uh, of Lot, but the Bible says that Lot was a righteous man. Do you remember that? 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 6, down through verse 8, it says this, If by turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to ashes, uh, God condemned them or he condemned them to extinction, making them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly, and if he rescued, notice the adjective about Lot, righteous Lot, greatly distressed, by the sensual conduct of the wicked, for as that righteous man lived among them day after day, he was tormenting his righteous soul over their lawless deeds that he saw and heard. And so because he was living there, you know, so often we think that, that, that a little sin doesn't affect us, that, that if I'm, doing, I'm in a place, I'm not the one doing it, they're the ones doing it, that's not going to affect me. It did. It affected uh, Lot. Now, now, Lot wasn't the one who was in these promiscuous relationships and in these uh, relationships of homosexuality himself, but it was affecting him. In fact, the Bible tells us that he was tormenting his righteous soul over these lawless deeds that he saw and he heard. And so we look at him and we see, where did he fail? 
How did he come to this place where he's failing spiritually? Well, you remember back in the previous chapters, while he had been down in Egypt with Abraham, Lot had gotten a taste for the world, and he enjoyed it. And Scripture doesn't record that Lot ever built an altar. You see that all the time about Abram. Even when he sins and he comes back to the Lord, he always builds an altar. But we never see that with Lot. He never builds an altar. He never seeks the Lord like his uncle Abraham did. Well, Abraham, we know, was the friend of God, but Lot was a friend of the world. In time, Lot began to conform to the world. And when Sodom lost the war, Lot was condemned with the world because understand, if you identify with the world, you can expect to suffer what the world suffers. And so Lot's capture was God's way of disciplining him, of reminding him that he had no business living over there in Sodom. Now, Abraham was, was probably back over with his group and his family uh, praying for Lot, uh, praying that, that God would touch his heart. Uh, he was praying for him uh, to come back to the Lord, uh, praying he would, he would faithfully come back, separate himself from the world, and, and start living like a true stranger and pilgrim. But understand that God disciplines his children because he loves them. The reason Lot and his family go through what they do is because of Lot's decisions and their decisions and the discipline that God puts upon them because he loves them and he wants the best for them. So if we don't listen to God, then he has to get our attention some other way. And that way is usually going to be very painful. And so we see his dilemma here with this war that breaks out and now Lot has been captured as a prisoner of war, he's going through discipline that God has brought upon him. And so we see, secondly, that Abram overcame the devil and rescued a brother. Uh, so we talked about how uh, we see there that he overcomes the devil, the world, uh, and the flesh, and we're going to see that in his life here uh, also. So look at verse 11 again. And then we'll follow on down through verse 16. Because first of all, I want to show you how Abram overcame the devil to rescue a, a brother. Uh, so get the picture there with all that background about the war that's going on. And as we said, this is the first mention of the war in the Bible. We come to these verses in verse 11 through verse 15. So the enemy, who's that? That's the four kings, took all the possessions of Sodom and Gomorrah, and all their provisions, what's their provisions? That's their food, and went their way. Verse 12 says, they also took Lot. Now, Lot is, we know, Abram's nephew, who was dwelling in Sodom and his possessions and went their way. So, by the way, here's the first mention of the word uh, of, of the word Hebrew, because notice verse 13 goes on to say, Then one who had escaped came and told Abram the Hebrew. It's the first time this word's ever used in the Bible. It means one beyond the river. In other words, it's, it's a stranger. 
And it says, he told Abram, the Hebrew, who was living by the oaks of Mamre, the Amorite, brother of Eshcol and Aner, and these were allies of, of Abram. When Abram heard that his kinsmen had been taken captive, he led forth his trained men born in his house, 318 of them, and went in pursuit as far as Dan. So let's go back just a moment here and look at verse 14 here especially. Because here, here's this one who had escaped in verse 13 uh, from the captivity there uh, as they captured Lot and his family. He goes and finds Abram to tell him what's happened to his nephew Lot. And notice what verse 14 says. When Abram heard that his kinsman, now some versions say brother, uh, in other words, that's his brother in the Lord. It doesn't call him nephew. Uh, it doesn't call him the, the son of his brother. Uh, now it calls him uh, a kinsman, uh, or it calls him a brother in some versions, a brother in the Lord. And then we come uh, to verse 15, and he says, And he divided his forces, Abram did, against them by night, he and his servants, and defeated them and pursued them to Hobah north of Damascus. Here's the key verse in chapter 14. Then he brought back all the possessions and also brought back his kinsman Lot with his possessions. Some versions there say his brother Lot with his possessions and the women and the people. So now Abram here has, has gone after his brother, after his kinsman Lot, uh, who's actually his nephew, but he's referring to him as his kinsman, as his brother in the Lord. Uh, so he's re it's referring to him in a different relationship here than he's just my nephew over here. He's, he's family. Uh, he, he's my brother uh, in the Lord. And so Abram goes after him. Well, how did Lot get in this mess to begin with? Well, we remember that Lot had went down to that wicked city named Sodom. God had finally, finally is going to have to destroy Sodom uh, with fire and brimstone because of the horrible sins that are going on in Sodom and Gomorrah. But Lot, he went down to Sodom. Now, why did he go down to Sodom? You remember uh, when he was there with, with Abram and his, his, uh, their, their herdsmen were having some skirmishes with one another? Uh, they had been blessed a lot when they went down to Egypt. You can go back and read those verses in chapter 13 and see how God had blessed them. But you know, sometimes with blessings, a blessing can sometimes be a curse if you don't handle it right. And that's kind of what happens here uh, for Lot. And, and so uh, he, Abram says, you know, we can't keep arguing and, and your guys arguing with ours. He said, you just choose which way you want to go and I'll go the other. You make the choice and I'll go the other way. And, and so uh, he looked and he saw, remember, the, the valleys and the plains there? And he said, man, that's, that's awesome there. He pitched his tent towards Sodom because to him as he looked at it, the grass was, was knee deep in Sodom and he had a lot of cattle, he had a lot of other animals and that's why he went down there. And as he goes down there, you know, it's kind of like we always do in life. We think the grass is greener on the other side and that's what happens to Lot here. The grass isn't so green on the other side. He gets in trouble in Sodom. And, and as we're, as we're going to see later. And, and so first of all, he got into Sodom and then Sodom gets into him. Uh, now, some may say, now, are you telling me uh, that the children of God can't go to wicked places without getting in trouble? No. Because if you're a child of God, uh, you can go to a wicked place without getting in trouble. It all depends on why you're there, why you go there. In the Bible, think about it. Joseph goes down to wicked Egypt. He didn't get in trouble 
Uh, he was an ambassador for the Lord uh, down in wicked, wicked Egypt. He didn't do anything wrong himself. In fact, you see the whole journey uh, that, that his brother sold him into slavery. Then he's wrongly accused. He's placed into prison. Eventually, he becomes the second in charge only to Pharaoh. Uh, and, and he had done nothing wrong himself, but God wanted to use him as an ambassador for himself down in wicked Egypt. You find in the Bible where Daniel... Daniel was in Babylon. He had been taken into captivity with the young men uh, to Babylon. Uh, and and he, di he didn't get in trouble himself. He didn't do anything wrong himself. He stood up for the Lord, in fact, if you read the story of Daniel. Uh, he stood up for the Lord down in Babylon. Uh, you remember Nehemiah. Nehemiah is serving uh, in King Artaxerxes' uh, household there at the, at the palace. He's there in, in wicked Persia. Uh, but there in Persia, Nehemiah witnesses for the Lord and becomes an ambassador for God uh, down in Persia as, as he begins to speak to King Xerxes there to tell him, here's why I'm sad in my heart. It's because uh, my, my, my God's people are, are suffering uh, back in the homeland. And so he has an opportunity to share uh, with the king there. You go to the New Testament and you read about Paul. Paul goes to a place called Corinth. Do a history study on Corinth and look at what Corinth was. It was kind of the Las Vegas or even worse than the Las Vegas of, of its day. Uh, and he went to Corinth there. It was one of the most wicked cities on the face of the earth at that time. He goes to Corinth and there he testifies for the Lord Jesus Christ. But what happened to Lot was that Lot went down there for the wrong reason, uh, the wrong motive. He went down there because of selfish desires. Oh, that looks so good down there. I think I'll take that. I'll leave Abram up here with all this dry, deserty, rocky hill land up here to take his herds through. And he goes down to Sodom and he becomes a captive of the world, a captive of the flesh, and a captive of the devil. Now, the word comes to Abram, as we read there, that Lot has been taken captive in this battle. He's down in Sodom. The king of Sodom is captured. All of these people in Sodom are captured, and they just take Lot and his family, lock, stock, and barrel, and carry him away with all the rest. When you look at that, what a wonderful, wonderful illustration of the truth of Proverbs chapter 13 and verse 20, that a companion of fools will be destroyed. It says, whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. And that's what we see happens to Lot. So, so a lesson we can learn from, from Lot here is watch the crowd you travel with. When you, go, when you get down in Sodom, what happens to Sodom is going to happen to you, whether you're saved or whether you're lost. And so the Sodomites here are captured by these four kings. They're carried away by these four kings. They're carried away into captivity. Now the word comes to Abraham. What's Abraham do? You know what Abraham could have done? He could have said, you know that sorry rascal lot is his fault. He got himself into this mess, let him get himself out of it. He mistreated me, he abused me and my workers, he, he, he was been selfish toward me, just let him go. He could have done that. Let me tell you something. Every one of us knows somebody, a brother or sister, uh, who's been taken captive. Somebody who loves God, and yet they may be taken captive by Satan. How are we going to react to that person? 
You know, there's four levels of reaction that we can have to individuals who are caught up into sin. Let me tell you four, those four levels uh, of reaction. First of all, you could just react at the lowest level of all, and that's the satanic wicked level where you return evil for good. That's what Satan does. He returns evil for good. Now, Abram wasn't on that level. Or you could be on the, the animalistic level. That's to return evil for evil. So if you kick an animal, he'll bite you. Uh, that's just evil for evil. Uh, you get me, I'll get you. Or you could be on the next level, which is good for good. Now, that sounds good, but that's kind of like, you scratch my back, I'll scratch your back. You do good to me, I'll do good to you. That's the human level. Somebody's good to us, we're good to them. But the highest level, the godlike level, the divine level, is to do good for evil. Now, Lot had done Abram wrong, but Abram is going to do Lot good. He's going to go and rescue his brother. No longer does he call him his nephew. Uh, no longer does he call him in the scripture here uh, the son of his brother. Uh, he calls him his kinsman or his brother. Uh, and so uh, when you turn in your Bibles to the New Testament, here's what Galatians chapter 6, verse 1 and verse 2 gives us some instruction uh, about how we are, about this principle, uh, about how we can uh, treat others and what we need to learn. So notice what it says. In Galatians chapter 6, verse 1 and verse 2, you could literally put Lot's name right here in these two verses. Brothers, the verse says, if anyone is caught, now some versions use the word overtaken, which literally means to be captured or to be caught, uh, just like Lot was captured, was caught up in the mess that was going on in Sodom in a place he shouldn't have been. So brothers, if anyone is caught... In any transgression, you who are spiritual... Now, who's that in our story? That's Abram. Should restore him... Who's the him? Lot. In a spirit of gentleness, keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. So understand, the devil is in the business of taking people captive. But the Bible says that we who are spiritual, those who profess to know Jesus as our Lord and our Savior, who profess that we are following Christ, we are followers of Christ, the Bible says that those who are spiritual, we're not talking perfection, are to restore such a one. Now let me tell you something, good people can fall. Don't forget that. That's a warning not only about others, but that's a warning for ourselves. You may think you're a good person, but you can fall. You can stumble. Everybody that falls is not necessarily a bad person. Because notice the word overtaken here, or caught, means somebody who has been ambushed. It means somebody who has been surprised by sin. Somebody who's been ambushed by the devil and sabotaged by Satan. Good people, men or women, can fall. 
The Bible says, if a person, if a man be overtaken in a fault, the idea is one who is a, a brother or a sister overtaken in a fall, not only can good men fall, but good men can be restored because good people can be restored and they can be brought back. If you study the Bible, you'll find a lot of good people who fail spiritually and they came back. You remember Jonah in the Old Testament who ran away from the Lord when he was supposed to go preach to Nineveh? You remember he was swallowed by the great fish? He spent the night in that great fish, the three nights there, and, and Jonah was restored through that as he cried out to the Lord for forgiveness. You read in the Bible about Samson, strongest man in the world at that time in the Old Testament. Samson, who sinned against God, falls asleep in the lap of Delilah, gets his hair cut, and all of that happens. And the Bible teaches that God takes away his strength from him, and he's defeated. But then finally God restores him when he cries out in repentance and gives him his strength back. And God used him, the Scripture says, more in his death than he did in his life. God restored Samson. Uh, we talked this morning about Simon Peter. You know, Simon Peter, remember, had cursed and swore and denied the Lord Jesus three times. And yet Simon Peter, who had cursed and swore and denied the Lord, uh, the, one of the mightiest apostles of, of Pentecost, he was restored by the Lord. David in the Old Testament. He was a man after God's own heart, 1 Samuel chapter 13, verse 14, who committed adultery and manslaughter. And yet God restores David and uses again this man after God's own heart. So what I'm trying to say is this, that good people may fall and good people may be restored. So what do you do when a brother or sister like Lot is taken captive? What do you do? Do you just say, well, it's none of my business? Uh, do you just condemn them, uh, condemn that person, a male or a female, uh, and, and criticize them? Uh, somebody said that the church is the only army that shoots its own wounded. Do you, call, do you go to tell the preacher so, so the preacher can do something about it? Why don't you do something about this person? Been there in those places for people take, taking that to the preacher? Is that what we do? Do you give the person a lecture and tell them, shame on you for being captured with those sodomites? You didn't have any business being down there to begin with, and you just increase their burden and their guilt. What do you do? Well, the Bible says in Galatians that we just read there, it says, you which are spiritual. Now, there's a, 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 a choice we need to make there. Am I in that group? Am I a spiritual one? Am I a follower of Jesus Christ? Am I spiritual or not? You which are spiritual, restore such a one. And let me tell you how you're to restore them. The same way that Abram restores Lot. Because you're in a battle with Satan himself, how are you to restore that person? Here's the key in, Gen in Galatians chapter 6 and verse 1. You're to restore them gently. You're to restore them gently. In fact, it says with, with a spirit of meekness and gentleness. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Now, notice the word restore there. 
The word restore is a word that was used for setting a broken bone. You ever had a broken bone? One thing you want when you have a broken bone is tender, loving care when that bone is, is being broken and when that bone is being set again. You don't want somebody just taking it and, and putting it back together. That's going to hurt. I mean, they do it quickly. But you want somebody who's going to be as gentle as possible with you but get the job done in bringing it, setting it back together again. So you can't be harsh and overbearing with someone. That's what that word restore there is, is taking the broken bone, resetting it. And so he's saying that you can't be harsh and overbearing. Now, you can be harsh with Satan. You can be overbearing with Satan. So what does Abram do? Abram goes to war against these wicked kings that represent the devil himself. But look at how he treats Lot. He treats Lot gently. You'll never restore anyone unless you restore them with meekness or gentleness. So restore people gently. Secondly, we see how Abram restores Lot. Restore him humbly. Restore him humbly. So in verse 1 and verse 2 there again in Galatians chapter 6, uh, you'll see there that it says uh, that uh, it says, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. And then it says... Don't just focus on the person there. Better be paying attention to yourself also. He says, keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of God. So what he's saying here is, you need to look around and you need to look within. Now, there's not a one of us who are here tonight or who are watching online that isn't capable of falling. Not one of us. Not you, not me, uh, not any of us. And, and you see, he's a child of God. He's bound to be under a burden. What has happened to this person if he's been carried away captive of the devil? Well, his fellowship with God has been broken. When your fellowship is broken with God as a believer, what happens? Your conscience bothers you. If it doesn't bother you, then you better question your relationship with God. Maybe you don't have a relationship with Him. If it's not bothering you that you've been separated from God, that you're going through this, this, this punishment upon you because of sinful choices you've made. So here's Lot, here's any person, as Galatians says here, who's fallen into sin. Their conscience is bound to be bothering them. There's shame. There's humiliation. There's the accusation of the devil when the devil tells you, you're no good, you never were saved, you're better off dead. There's that inward misery that comes. So these people that Paul is talking about, and Lot here in particular as we're seeing, are under a burden. And we're to restore them sympathetically. We're to bear one another's burdens. And so what did Abram do? Go back to verse 16 in Genesis chapter 14. Then he brought back 
all the possessions, and also brought back his kinsman, Lot, or his brother, Lot, with his possessions and the women and the people. So Abram goes to war. He brings back all the goods. He brings back again his brother Lot and his goods and the women also and the people. Lord, help us. Because there are so many people all around us in our church, in churches in our community, churches across our nation, around our world. There are so many people of the church that need the Lord. And they need help. You know, sometimes we say, well, I'll get, I'll get their names for you, friends. There's not enough of me to go around to help people. What we need to do as individual believers is we need to find out who God has given us in our circles to minister to, to encourage, to restore, uh, to help them to come back in their relationship with the Lord. You know, in all of our trying to win people to Jesus Christ, don't forget the broken. Don't forget the broken brothers and the broken sisters in Christ who've been taken captive by the devil. Abram said, he's not just my nephew, he's my brother, and I'm going to war for him. I want to tell you, our battle is with Satan, who's taken our friends, our brothers and sisters in Christ, captive. And so Abram, by faith, overcame the devil to restore a brother. Then we come down to verse 17 through verse 23, and we see that Abram overcame the world, and when he does, he receives a blessing. Notice verse 17 here. So verse 17, after his return from the defeat of Chedlamar and the kings who were with him, the king of Sodom went out to meet him at the valley of Shaveh, that is, the king's valley. And so here's Abram who's coming back from the battle. He's had a great victory. He, he went and he routed all those, those armies that were coming against, the four that were coming against the five. Uh, he rescues Lot. Uh, the king of Sodom sees Abram coming. He sees Abram's been victorious. And this king of Sodom comes out who normally would never have given Abram the time of day. He comes out to meet victorious Abram. Now out there in the valley... Somebody else comes that day. There were two kings that appear that day. Look at verse 18. And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God most high. Now there's something very beautiful in this verse here that I want you to see it. Abram's victorious. He's coming back. What he has done is to rescue a brother, to restore a brother. Now he comes back victorious, and two kings come out to meet him. The king of Sodom, the king of Salem. Now the king of Sodom is a wicked king. Sodom stands for everything that is vile and wicked in the Bible. It stands for the world. And then along comes also this king Salem. Now, the king of Sodom has a name. The king of Salem has a name. The king of Salem has an unusual name. His name is Melchizedek. Uh, the king of Sodom represents the world. The king of Salem represents the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. If you look over to the New Testament, in the book of Hebrews, 
In Hebrews chapter 7, the writer of Hebrews gives us a little more insight into this situation with Melchizedek and who he is. So Hebrews chapter 7, verse 1 through verse 4 says this, For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him. And to him Abraham apportioned a tenth part of everything. He is first, by translation of his name, king of righteousness. And then he is also king of Salem, that is, king of peace. He is without father or mother or genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but resembling the Son of God, he continues, a pre he continues as a priest forever. See how great this man was, to whom Abraham the patriarch gave a tenth of the spoils. So in these verses, you've got a description here of Melchizedek. And so notice to the end of verse 1 there uh, that Melchizedek blesses him. Uh, in verse two, at the uh, verse two, in the beginning there, uh, it says Abraham apportions a tenth part of everything to. So he ties to King Melchizedek, and, and then you come to the second half of, of verse two, and we find out also uh, that his name, the translation of his name, is King of Righteousness and King of Peace. So he's he's both there. Uh, he's the king of righteousness. And you listen to this as underscores uh, here. Uh, the bottom of verse 4 uh, tells us, See how great this man was to whom Abraham, the patriarch, and the patriarch there is the father or ruler, uh, so that's what the writer of Hebrews is telling us. He's telling us that this man who met Abram when he came back represented Jesus Christ. He was an Old Testament type or picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, why was he a type of the Lord Jesus Christ? Well, first of all, he was a priest king. Understand this. Normally in the Old Testament, you could only be a priest or a king. You couldn't be both. But Jesus is both a priest and a king. He's the priest king. So he was also the king of peace. Not only the king of righteousness, but the king of peace. And so is our Savior. You know what the word Salem means? Peace. And so he's the king of Salem. He's the king of peace. And then the name Melchizedek means righteousness, we said. So he's the king of righteousness. Now think about it. He's a priest. He's a king. He's the king of peace, the king of righteousness. That and, and he's represented as an eternal because notice what the writer of Hebrews says that he's shown us here. He's without a father or a mother, without beginning or ending. He doesn't tell us how old he was. He doesn't tell us when he was born. doesn't tell us when he died, his birth, or his death. Neither one are recorded in the Scriptures. And because none of that is recorded, it just seems as though he always was. And there again, he becomes a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ, the eternal King. And so Abram meets Melchizedek, who stands for Jesus. Two kings, king of Sodom, king of Salem, the world, and the Lord. When he meets these two kings, he overcame Satan to restore a brother. Now he overcomes the world to receive a blessing because he went right to the king and he gets a blessing. But listen to this always. Today, tomorrow, the rest of your life, these two kings are going to meet you after every victory you ever face. After every victory, you're going to meet with the king of Salem and the king of Sodom. One wants to bless you, 
The other wants to rob you. You're going to meet these two kings every day. The world and the Lord. Abram met them and he overcomes them. He overcomes and he receives a blessing. He, received a, he overcomes to receive this blessing. He met, met Melchizedek. He's now walking by faith. He sees what Melchizedek represents. And so he says to Melchizedek, I'm going to give a tithe to you. So here's the first mention of tithing in the Bible. And for those who think that tithing is only for Jews under the law, this was 400 years before the law was ever given. Abram meets him. Remember, he represents Jesus, Melchizedek does. He gives a tithe to Jesus. He gives 10% of all the spoils of the battle. Why does he do that? I believe there's four reasons why he does that. And you see them in the verses. One is because of the grace of God, as you see in verse 18. Verse 18 says, And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God most high. What do you see in that verse as a Christian? You see the bread and the wine. You see the Lord's Supper. What does the Lord's Supper represent? The body and the blood of Jesus Christ. So you see that broken body and the shed blood of Jesus because these are the elements that we partake of in the Lord's Supper. Here they are tucked away in the book of Genesis in the picture of Melchizedek, our high priest, our priest king, offering himself the bread and the wine. And Abram recognizes that. And Abraham seizes the grace of God and that makes him want to worship the king of Salem. So that's one of the reasons that he gives, because of the grace of God. It's out of the worship he wants to express to God, but also because of the greatness of God. Go on to verse 19. It says, and he blessed him and said, Melchizedek does, Melchizedek blesses him and says, Blessed be Abram by God most high, possessor of heaven and earth. You know what Abram recognized? He recognized that everything I have belongs to God anyway. When you bring your tithes and your offerings, even to church as, as a believer today, you know what you're saying? You're saying, God, I believe it all belongs to you. You're a great God. You possess the heavens. You possess the earth. There's nothing that you have in your pocket. There is nothing you have in your bank account that's yours. It all belongs to God. And Abram saw that in the bread and the wine, the grace of God. He saw the God most high. That's the greatness of God. And then he sees the goodness of God. Look at verse 20. And blessed be God most high, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And Abram gave him a tenth of everything. So he says, Melchizedek does to Abram, he says, God has been so good to you, Abram, he has given you the victory. One of the reasons that we ought to trust God, whether it's in our finances, in our time, in our talents, our treasures, is that God is good to us. God is the God who gives us the victory. Some people say, well, well tithing is for Jews under the law. I I'm under grace. 
you know, with the tithe, we express our trust in God with our first fruits. Now, in the New Testament, we learn about grace giving. And grace giving is above and beyond our first fruits. In it, you stretch your spiritual muscles and you, you trust God uh, with more and more uh, of, of the things that you think are yours are really His already. And so we move beyond a voluntary discipline of tithing to giving freely. And when we don't do more under grace than a Jew does under the law, then we're a disgrace to grace. Then notice the fourth reason I believe he gives. The glory of God. Look at verse 21. And the king of Sodom said to Abram, Give me the persons, but take the goods for yourself. So he sees the grace of God. He sees the greatness of God. He sees the goodness of God. And finally he sees the glory of God. Of God. Now, what the king of Sodom is saying is, if you'll just divide up with me, we'll just do business together. And Abraham basically says to the king of Sodom, notice what he goes on to say to him in verse 22. Abram said to the king of Sodom, I have lifted my hand to the Lord God most high, possessor of heaven and earth that I would not take a thread or a sandal strap or anything that is yours, lest you should say, I have made Abram rich. In other words, what Abram's saying is here is, I don't want anything that's yours. I don't even want one of your shoelaces. I don't want anything that belongs to you or to your people, king of Sodom. I don't want you going around saying, you made Abram rich. What Abram is saying is, look, I'm tithing to the Lord, and I'm trusting him, and I'm not trusting you to take care of me. My testimony is at stake. I want to live for the glory of my God. Four motives that day there Abram had in his heart. The grace of God, the greatness of God, the goodness of God, and the glory of God. And he met two kings, the king of Salem, the king of Sodom. And you'll meet those two kings, the world and the Lord. The king of Salem says, I want to bless you. The king of Sodom says, give me. You make up your mind. How did Abram overcome? Finally, in verse 24, Abram overcame the flesh and renewed a belief, a trust in the Lord. Verse 24 says, he says, I will take nothing but what the young men have eaten and the share of the men who went with me. Let Aner, Eshcol, and Mamre take their share. So when Abram rejects Bera, who's the king of Sodom, and accepts Melchizedek, he is making a statement of faith saying, you take the world, but give me Jesus. Give me the Lord. Lot should have made the same decision, but he had chose to return to his life of compromise. Because what do we see happens after this, after Abram delivers him from the captivity there? He goes right back to Sodom, right back into the pit of sin there. And it's later after this that God has to judge Sodom and as a result of that is going to be judging Lot and his family. Lot should have made the same decision Abram did. 
Why would it have been wrong, though, for Abram to take of the spoils? After all, didn't he risk his life and the lives of, uh, of, of the ones he retained to defeat the invading kings and, and rescue these prisoners? I mean, legally, Abraham had every claim to take the spoils, but morally, it was out of bounds. Many things in this world, you know, you can do, but is it the right thing to do as far as God's people are concerned? Abram was prompt in his giving. He was proportionate in his giving. He did it because he loved God and he wanted to acknowledge his greatness and his goodness. What a contrast between the Most High God and the idols of this world. Abram's God is the possessor, the creator of heaven and earth, and he deserves all the worship and all the praise of all his people. Before this battle, Abraham says, I had already lifted my hand to the Lord. And I had already made a solemn vow that I'm not going to take anything from the spoils. He knew in going to get Lot, he was going to have to get the rest of the people. He was going to have to deliver those from Sodom. And so they benefited also. But Abram says, I'm not going to benefit from any of that. He had a single heart and a single mind as he led his army. During that battle, Abraham used his sword by faith, and he trusted God for the victory. After the battle, by faith, Abraham closes his hands to the king of Sodom. He opens his hands to give to the king of Salem and receives the bread and the wine and gives the tithes. And Abram overcomes the flesh and a renewed belief. The key is this, 1 John chapter 5, verse 4. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. That's good. But get the last sentence. And this is the victory that has overcome the world. Our faith. What is our faith? It's simply our trust in our Creator, in God Almighty. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what a powerful message from Genesis 14 here. of The picture of the pre-incarnate Jesus Christ. Father, I pray that we have gotten the picture tonight from this passage. Lord, that we are going to face every day in life the temptations of this world, and we're going to face the choice to be obedient and follow you and bring glory and honor to your name. And the choice lies in our hands. Which will we do? Lord, we know people who have fallen by the wayside spiritually, and they need to be restored. So, Father, bring us alongside them. Let us not expect someone else to do that, a, a deacon or the pastor. Use us, God, as individuals, as Christians who've been restored ourselves to walk alongside those individuals and, and to bring, Lord, a, a spirit of gentleness into their heart and life where they're already being beaten up by their own conscience. They're already being burdened down by the accuser, Satan. And Father, I just pray that we would, we're not whitewashing over their sin. We're just coming alongside them to lead them back to being restored in their walk with you. Lord, I pray tonight that you would use us in whatever way that you would to bring glory and honor to your name. That life would not be about us, but it would be all about you. Lord, give us Jesus and let the devil have this world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As we stand, as we sing our hymn of invitation, as the Lord lays on your heart, would you come tonight, Brother Mike, if you'll lose.
Thank you for being with us online there tonight. Don't forget that we start back with Awana on Wednesday night. So uh, even if you're here in person, be praying for those individuals. If you're one of those Awana workers, just know we'll be praying for you, praying for the kids. Uh, and also don't forget that if you're part of our choir, we will be starting back with choir practice right after our, our uh, Bible study in here uh, at 7 o'clock with the choir. So uh, we look forward to seeing you. Come and join us 6 o'clock Wednesday night for our Bible study and prayer meeting. Uh, come and join us for Awana if you have kids, but you have a blessed week, a safe week, and we'll see you this coming Wednesday.